book of Exodus, the second book of the Old Testament, second book of the Bible, and we find ourselves in chapter 6 this morning, Exodus chapter 6 in a message I've entitled, The God Who Will Not Let Us Down. I stole that title from Kevin DeYoung, and I have no idea what Kevin said about the passage, but I thought it was a good title, so uh, we're going with it. As you're turning in your Bibles to Exodus 6, we're going to be reading the first 13 verses of the of the chapter. This is the last message from Exodus before we take our summer break, beginning next Sunday. And through the summer, we'll be doing a series of uh, messages from the Psalms. It's been a few years since we did a summer series on the Psalms. This is a fantastic passage to um, sort of close the loop, if you will, on this first part of our journey through Exodus. And let me remind you where we left off last week before I read, beginning in verse 1. Moses has been sent back to Egypt by the Lord after 40 years in Midian. And he has given a message for Pharaoh really a declaration to let God's people go. And so after he and Aaron went in and met with Pharaoh and gave the order from the Lord, Pharaoh refused being stubborn of heart. And Moses, at the end of chapter 5, we covered it last week, I'm going to reference it again this morning, began to wonder if this was a good idea after all. And at the end of chapter 5, in what is clearly a prayer, but a very honest, transparent prayer to the Lord, he has two questions. Lord, why have you done this? In light of Pharaoh's response, ordering that the Israelites make bricks without straw and increase their productivity, and why did you send me? This passage comes to us, chapter 6, to reassure those of us that in times of trouble, difficulty, turmoil, we need to be reassured of who God is and what he has promised to do. Exodus chapter 6. This is God's word. But the Lord said to Moses... Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, 
and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of God, but they did not listen to Moses. Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am a man of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Lord, every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be reassured of who you are, what you have done, and what you still promise to do. In times of trouble, we need this particularly as well. And so I pray, Lord, in this concluding message of our initial series in Exodus, that you would, Father, draw near and comfort weary hearts who doubt your goodness due to painful, perplexing troubles and trials and reassure all of our hearts that this passage reveals your greatness, your graciousness, your generosity in order to breathe fresh life into our souls and stir fresh affection for Jesus. You are the Lord. Speak now by your word through your spirit and reassure us of your love. We ask this in your name. Everyone said, Amen. Moses did what God had told him to do. And Pharaoh responded, didn't he, in ways that made life more difficult for the Hebrew slaves in Egypt. And so in our passage, there's really four, if you will, storylines, and I'm going to work through them efficiently. I've been asked by the pastoral team to work quickly today. Moses' complaint, 
which we'll review in a moment from the end of chapter 5. The Lord's message to Moses, which was a private conversation had with him. The Lord's message to Israel, which was a public conversation the Lord has with Israel through Moses. And then Israel's, I won't. Israel's, I won't. So we have a complaint. We have a private conversation between the Lord and Moses. We have a message for Israel where the Lord says seven times, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then Israel, in response to the Lord's I wills, says, I won't. Let's start with Moses' complaint. And this is quote number one that we read from the end of chapter five again. The verses we looked at last week. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. You have not delivered your people at all. Scholars have debated whether Moses is accusing God of being unfaithful, which is serious business in the Bible, or merely being humble in his complaint and honest in his petition. In light of Pharaoh's response to the Lord's declaration to let my people go, Pharaoh orders the Hebrew slaves have their straw taken away from them and more bricks be made. It's an unthinkable assignment which results in great affliction. Since I'm not a scholar, I tend to view what Moses prayed as a holy complaint and leave the debate to others. If not unflattering, he is complaining. His complaint's clear. Why have you done this to the people of God in response to my faithful obedience to deliver your message? And one more, Lord, while you're considering that, why did you sin me? There are times in Christian ministry and in walking in the way of Jesus as followers of Jesus where you and I have a similar conversation with God. Sometimes you're just tired of being tired as a Christian. You don't want to quit ministry. You certainly don't want to quit the Lord. But you'd like to quit the feeling that I'll just call being tired. Lack of enthusiasm. Vision seems cloudy. that's you, and I certainly can identify with varying degrees at different times, that has often been me, when confronted with a circumstance that was not expected 
and that resulted in more difficulties than I thought or imagined while seemingly being faithful to do what Jesus called me to do. And I'm not talking about ministry. I'm talking about walking in the way of Jesus and taking up my cross and identifying as a Christian and all that that entails. This passage comes to people like that who are willing to be honest about their complaint to the Lord when they're tired of feeling tired because they're following Christ. And God speaks through this passage to reassure us of his love and to remind us of what we most need to be reminded of. His character, this is who I am, and his promises. This is what I promise to do. So the Lord's message to Moses, part two, point two, in light of his complaint in verses two through five, is first this truth, Moses. You heard it repeated. I am the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Meaning, Moses, I am in control. I'm always in control. Moses' complaint was that God wasn't doing what he had promised. The first great truth that God reminds Moses of in this private conversation is, I am the Lord. Meaning, I am in control of these circumstances. And I think the repetition of the Lord, his name, and the statement I am conveys the authority of God to Moses and to his readers receiving this story years later to confirm their trust and all in Yahweh. And this is not new ground here for Moses. Most of what we read here was revealed to Moses in chapter 3 as a shepherd. But God graciously and patiently and kindly repeats and reviews again with Moses all that he had previously revealed. I imagine some of your parents had a conversation with you when you were a youngster that went something like this. Did I not tell you to pick up your clothes? You did. How many times did I tell you to pick up your clothes? I don't know. Two, three times. What are those clothes doing in the middle of the family room? I didn't pick up my clothes. Okay, we're going to do this again. And this time, you're going to listen. You need to pick up your clothes. 
Did you notice how many times the Lord repeated in this passage, I am? Four times. He's not asking Moses to pick up his clothes. He's asking Moses, do you remember what I revealed? Who I am? In verse 2, in verse 6, in verse 7, I am the Lord, sovereign God. But it gets better, doesn't it? Because Moses and the Israelites are about to supernaturally experience what I am the Lord means through their deliverance from Egypt, which will have ripple effects not only for the Jewish nation, but in all of redemptive history. So the revelation of God as in control is only going to get deeper and bigger and better as we go through. But in addition to reminding Moses that he is the Lord in his private conversation, look at verse 3. Moses reviews with him redemptive history. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And then in verse 4, I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. The second great truth that God privately, tenderly, compassionately reveals to Moses as he's expressing his complaint, verbalizing his doubts, frustrated with his circumstances, tired of feeling tired, is this. God remembers his covenant. Or to use modern language, God remembers his promises. God remembers his promises. Covenant, it's more than this, but it's not less than this, is a promise that God graciously makes to a group of people and keeps. And so the question begs to be answered, why is the Lord reminding Moses of what he promised in the past to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when Moses needs God to act now? found when you're tired of being tired both in your life and my life that we stop looking up at the Lord and we start looking in at ourselves we stop looking up at the Lord and we start looking to ourselves to take control of whatever's uncontrollable or to fix what's making us tired. But Moses, in being reminded of God's promises, saying, Moses, eyes, 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 right, parents? Stop looking in and look up. For I, the Lord, have made a promise to you in the past, and I have not forgotten my promise. Therefore, you should not despair, because there is nothing, listen to this, more reliable, more certain than the promises I have made in the past. 
There's nothing more reliable than the promises I've made to you and your people in the past. And not only that, verse 5, I have heard the groaning of my people, Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Moses, in retelling the story, echoes Exodus 2, 24, where we read God heard and remembered and saw and knew those four great Hebrew verbs. He heard the groaning of his people in slavery. He had compassion on his people. He was attentive to his people. He heard their groans. And because he loves them, to remember them is to act. To remember them is to respond. To remember his covenant is to fulfill what he has promised. The Lord reassures Moses and the people of God of who he is and what he will do. He is the Lord. He is the sovereign God who is in control. And he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who keeps his promises. Question, we're all vulnerable to doubt the goodness of God when troubles and trials come. Where and when were you tempted this week to lose heart? application question number one what troubles did you face where you were not sure God would do what he had promised some of us myself included are tempted to accuse God blame others be critical of God therefore be critical of others when trials persist What might my doubts be revealing about what I have forgotten about God's character? What might my words towards others, my critical words, my harsh words, my angry words, there's always a connection, the vertical with the horizontal, between what I say to others and my doubt towards God's love and faithfulness towards me. Those are questions we ask regularly here at Crossway. This passage comes to us to reassure us of who God is and what God has promised to do. And that brings us to the Lord's message to Israel, verses 6 through 8. Following his private conversation with Moses, he instructs Moses to take a message to Israel, verses 6 through 8. Quote number 3. We'll reread it again, beginning in verse 6. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give you to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses has just complained that God isn't doing anything to rescue his people. And the Lord's response to Moses' complaint is seven I wills. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. 
We are meant to feel something of the heart and affection and love of God through these I wills to the people of God about to be delivered from Egypt. We could spend a lot of time on the seven I wills. But I think if we were to summarize the point of the seven I wills, is that God is saying, I am going to prove to you that I am the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, by saving you, liberating you, delivering you, redeeming you, adopting you, giving you a land for your very own. In other words, to quote Phil Riken, whose accessible commentary summarized this point, the main point of the seven I wills is this. Israel's salvation and yours belongs to the Lord. The only thing left for Israel to do was to know the Lord as their God. God would save the Israelites by his sovereign grace. He does all the saving so that he can get all the glory. And the call for Israel is to know him as their Lord and their God. Now, as we listen to the story of the Exodus, it's as if we're hearing the first strains, Abby, of a melody that's about to result in a symphony. The first strains of that melody are in the Old Testament, and the symphony is in the coming of Christ. The incarnation of the perfect Son of God who enters our world and our space and our life in order to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves to redeem us from the penalty of sin and its slavery to to rescue us from the wrath of God for your sin to deliver us from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and his beloved son to forgive us. Jesus will be and is the liberator who has freed us by his blood from all our sins through his costly suffering and death on the cross. And all that is left for us to do in terms of salvation is believe in him. Amen? To know Jesus as our Savior in the Lord is to say in the next breath, I cannot save myself. I cannot fix here what is wrong in my relationship with God. I cannot, as we heard earlier, create a patch garment of works righteousness and hope that that pleases God. But no, I'm called to receive his perfect, seamless righteousness. And standing in it, rejoice in the precious love of Christ. Which of the Lord's I wills encouraged you today? And how does remembering that the Lord will do it encourage you to keep doing 
what God has called you to do. Following my baptism on a cold Sunday in December 1981, before the internet was invented, that was the Sunday that 85% of men at my university joined their fraternities. And I rushed. There were two invitations under my door that morning. A fraternity that I knew I couldn't join, even though I really liked the president of that fraternity, but I knew it would be the end of me as a Christian just because of the amount of adult beverages being consumed. And the other fraternity that was more populated by Christians but just didn't really kind of fit my... me. It's generous of them to invite me. And I remember when I came up out of the waters of baptism, I was a young Christian. I had been a Christian less than six months. My pastor, Randy Welsh, small church there in Lewisburg, was in the water with me. I wasn't the only one getting baptized on that frigid morning. But he knew I had made a decision. I'm not joining this group, but in my call to follow Christ, this baptism is obedience to the Lord and as I came up out of the water, he said to me, Thou art Christ and only calls you to follow him. He pointed everybody at shore. Christ calls you to join this church and be identified as part of his kingdom and follow hard after him. Why would he say that? Why would he say in an event that celebrates the I wills of God that there was an implication there to walk out my Walk with Christ with others. I think he knew, as this passage seems to imply, Israel needs to know that if salvation is from the Lord completely, we need the help of others to remember and be reassured and grow in our faith in the I wills of God in order to do what he has called me to do. In other words, to know this God is to learn how to trust him completely. And therefore, I will need the help of others. Otherwise, I'll be like Israel and say, I won't. Which is my last point. I won't. I won't do what you're asking me to do. I won't believe in you. I won't follow you. It is astonishing, and I am turning for home, verse 9, that after all that's been said and done and the promise that God is about to act, that we read a most honest verse in verse 9 that Moses records for us of chapter 6. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. In times of trouble, we need to be reassured of who God is and what God has promised to do. But when our hearts are troubled, when they're, in the words of verse 9, when they're broken, when they've experienced what they consider to be harsh circumstances, they don't listen to the Lord. Maybe you can relate to the Israelites in their struggle this morning to believe. 
he will do what he's promised to do in your life. I have struggled at times to believe the Lord will do what he has promised to do in my life and in the church and in the mission of the gospel that I'm a part of. When I'm faced with circumstances that are difficult and obstacles that I didn't expect and discouraging news that quite frankly I'm tired of hearing. I'm vulnerable just like you to doubt the promises of God. I might respond on Sunday when Mike or Dan or Jim is leading us in these great songs. I will believe. But on Monday, if I'm honest, I'm not so sure you will. I might say in life group because it's the right answer. I believe that. But just earlier in the day, did I not say in the secrets of my own heart, perhaps others, but not me, God isn't keeping his promises. Can you imagine this week is our 30th anniversary? We're going to celebrate it a week from this week, but can you imagine if on that day when I married Linda, Alan Redruff's there leading us in our vows, and you do those I will or I do's. Is that what they're called, Dave? I do's. <laughs> there I am, dressed in my tuxedo, showered and shaven. And, and Alan says to me, Bauer, will you, whatever those charges are. And I say, I do. And then he turns to Linda. Of course, she would never say this. And I didn't ask permission to share this. <laughs> Linda, will you... And she says, I'm not sure I will. I didn't hear that. Bauer, will you? I say, I will. I do. Whatever I'm supposed to say, Alan. And Linda says, I'm not sure I can. I think that's going to change the mood of the closing song, Dave. (laughs) As people head for the exit doors. When we doubt God's goodness in the secrets of our heart, even when you're in church and you hear these promises being said to you, you and I have something in common, don't we? If we're honest, when faced with prolonged, perplexing, difficult circumstances, pastors and people alike, Hear the promises of God where he says, I will, I will, I will. And we say, well, we won't say it in life group probably. Well, some people definitely do. They're more humble than me. I'm not sure you will. And so in times of trouble, God makes it clear that you and I, something far better than I will, In times of trouble like that, he makes clear, I have done it already. In the gospel, 
I have done it already for you. To know this God is to trust him completely, but confronted with doubting his goodness and his faithfulness to keep his promise, the good news of Christ is that he has given us in his life, work, and redemption a series of I have done it that I can bring my heart to and bring my doubts under and bring my mind through renewing it under the I have done it to a place of weak but growing faith where I say to the Lord Jesus, in light of what I know you have done for me already, I say to you, you are the one who always keeps his promises weekly. You are the one who hears my groans. You are the one who will liberate me even as I struggle. You are the one and only you can bring me close to yourself. And so Christian, repent. Stop trying to save yourself. You are the one who will take me by the hand on that last day. That day where even my mind may fail me. And heaven is before me. And you will welcome me into your heavenly home through the righteousness of Christ alone and the shed blood of the eternal lamb that has purchased my plentiful redemption. And it's then and only then when, Christian, you're saying what Moses told Israel to say, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. God may feel like he's absent. God may feel like a complete no-show. Our view of God in this moment may be that he is not caring or not hearing or doesn't care about our suffering or has not responded to our groans. But what the gospel of Jesus Christ makes clear is that the answer to all of their troubles and all of their trials is that we need to be reminded that to know Christ is to know him. And to know God is to grow in my relationship with God. And so if you find yourself this morning tired of being tired, tired of being burdened to believe what you believe, God himself, through the words of Exodus, would remind you that I am the Lord. I will go ahead of you I will provide for you. I love you. I have set my affection upon you. I will fulfill all my good promises in your life because Christ is your Lord. Isn't that good news? Which of the gospel promises that you know already this week reassure you of God's love, of God's I wills, and I have done it. And how will, more than listening to my sermon, how will you take hold of that promise? You take hold of it.
and bring it into that moment, bring it into that space, bring it into that conversation with God where you're like Moses complaining. And you say, weakly albeit, Lord, in light of the cross and resurrection, in light of the forgiveness of sins by faith that I have received, in light of the promise of complete righteousness, in light of the the declaration that I am now a son or daughter in which the Spirit indwells, making me a member of your household. You have given me what I need to put my faith in the I have done it of the gospel. Father, reassure me of your love. In times of trouble, we need to be reassured of who God is and what God has done and what God has promised to do. How will you take hold of the I have done it, Savior, today? Let's pray. Father, as we prayed at the beginning and we, we acknowledge again at the end, this passage in our Bibles was given to us to reassure us of your character, to remind us of your faithfulness to your promises. to stir within us fresh faith in your love and to bring us again to that place of humble and meek dependence. I pray, Lord, that you would speak into those spaces and places of our hearts today, tonight, this week, with the promises of your word, and we would see in each of those promises who you are and what you have done. Lord Jesus, we would see, as has been said often, from this pulpit and this church, we would see the face of grace, which is Christ, and find in him the hope and the reassurance we need. In times of trouble, Lord, we look to you to assure us of your greatness and your grace for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand.